It's a pleasure to be able to open the Word of God with you this morning as Pastor and Bonnie are still on vacation. Trust it'll be refreshing for them. And uh, as it was already mentioned, uh, I encourage you to come back for tonight's evening service. I'm looking forward to hearing Kenny uh, Bechtel uh, preach tonight, open the Word, and it's been a joy to see him and many others like him grow up through the youth group and God calling them into various uh, positions in life and, and perhaps in the ministry and um, it should be a joy to, to come out and, and hear him tonight. So I trust you'll be able to, to be here for that. Um, this week, I was watching a video uh, that someone shared on Facebook on what motivates people, specifically in the business world. And in this short three-minute clip, the speaker made the point that in many cases, businesses often try to motivate people by offering incentives for good work. In other words, Figure out the solution to such and such of a problem, and we'll reward you with a bonus. Offer some sort of reward or financial incentive, the thinking goes, and people will be more productive. But was, what was interesting in this video was that the speaker showed how scientists have done studies on this type of motivation. And when presented, uh, when this uh, scientist had presented a problem to two independent, independent groups of people, uh, and offered a financial incentive to one group and not to the other, in many cases, surprisingly, the group with the financial incentive did no better than the group without one. And that led to the question, what really motivates people? Daniel Pink, who has a famous TED Talk on YouTube about this very subject, actually identifies uh, three things that are greater motivators for people in the workplace than simply financial incentives in the long term. And he identifies these three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy means this, giving employees at least some time to be self-directed. Uh, and he says that studies have shown that when employees are given a set amount of time to tackle any problem or task they wish, they often get more done when given that freedom assuming that you can trust those employees with that kind of work. The second is mastery. And mastery refers to our urge to get better at stuff. And so the idea here is that all of us have this desire to excel at something. And if individuals are allowed to work at something they excel at, or they something they're naturally good at, um, or are given a chance to grow in a certain skill and be challenged in that area, they will be more productive. The third motivator that works better in the long run than incentives or financial incentives is purpose. Purpose. In other words, people want to know that their job matters, that they're not just punching a clock day in and day out for no other reason than just to pay the bills. In other words, we become motivated when we know that our work is helping to make a difference. So the presenter says in this video that even if your job in, is in the business of cow manure, you can remember that what you're really doing is helping to produce the best crops in Pennsylvania. And uh, Steve Jobs, the late founder of Apple Computers, is famous for saying many things, but one of his most famous conversations that he had was when he was trying to convince one of the top executives at Pepsi to come and work for Apple. And uh, the, the line that Jobs ultimately used to convince him was this. He said, at the end of the day, do you want to just be making sugar water, or do you want to come with me and change the world? That's what convinced him. 
Well, today I have a call to action for you all, a motivational speech from the Scriptures. And that is that God needs every single one of you for the work of the ministry of this church. And I believe our passage today touches on two of the three motivators that I just mentioned, mastery and purpose. Today, if in Ephesians 4, we're going to learn that God has not only gifted um, just a few uh, pastors and missionaries or ministry professionals, but in fact, if you're a believer in Christ, God has gifted each and every one of you um, in certain ways, and that God has gifted you to use those gifts um, to grow in them, to perfect them for his glory. God has given you a grand purpose that we are all aiming for. That is the Great Commission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that goal is for all men and women not only to come and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, no, it's more than just a decision or a prayer, but rather that all Christians grow into full maturity and unity after the model of Christ our Savior. So we have this idea of mastery. God has given each of you gifts to use in his kingdom. And this idea of purpose, the Great Commission, God has designed you to have a role in fulfilling that purpose. And that purpose is laid out for us this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Read it with me. Look down at your Bibles. It says it this way. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the goal that's been set before us, that we are to strive for together, that we all know Christ so completely that we would believe not only what is right and true and sound doctrine, but so that we would ultimately be using the gifts that God has given us for his glory, like a perfect team, working together in unity, loving one another fully. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of a church that loved perfectly, where people loved each other wonderfully, where we served one another and spoke and acted like Jesus intended us to? What a wonderful church that would be. And so today, we are called to that goal, and we're called not just to believe it, but to act and to work towards it. So the church needs you, and I trust that you will believe that this morning. Now today, even though we've read through Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, I'm going to be focusing just on a smaller portion of that, specifically verses 11 through 16, which talk about God's gifting and our role in that larger purpose of unity and maturity. So let's dive in. First part we're going to talk about starts in verse 11, where it describes how God gives spiritual gifts and abilities to each of us. Specifically, it's going to start by highlighting just a few of the spiritual gifts, namely the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, 
and we'll find out why it highlights those specifically in a moment. So here we go, verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay. Now who's the he? The he is Jesus. If we were to go back to the context of this, this verse, it says that Jesus is the one who gives gifts to his to believers, to his followers. Here we see the same word gave, indicating that these are some of the gifts that he gives. And these are named for us as apostles, prophets, uh, uh, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are known as spiritual gifts, or at least examples of types of spiritual gifts. And if you're not familiar with what that term means, spiritual gifts are special abilities that our triune God gives according to his grace to each member of the body of Christ to be used for the building up of the church. Not all of the gifts are mentioned here, okay? Understand that this is just a sampling of some of those spiritual gifts. Um, and there are many others as well. But these specific ones are mentioned here for a purpose, which I will describe here in a moment. They're not just random or haphazard. Uh, there is a very specific reason why only these are listed here. But of course, this list of spiritual gifts is far greater and bigger than just these that are mentioned. Um, You'll notice in Ephesians 4.11, it says, he gave the apostles, meaning Jesus. So Jesus has a role in distributing these gifts to believers. But we also know from other passages that it's the Holy Spirit that has a role in giving these gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 8 says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, and to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, and so on. And so, as we read these other passages of Scripture and bring those in, we see that the triune God is the one who gives these gifts to us. Not just Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, even God the Father. The triune God is involved in this as well. Secondly, these gifts are special abilities given by His grace, meaning that they are not earned or deserved. So if you are a believer here this morning, I can tell you for certain you have spiritual gifts that God has given you, special abilities to be used in the church. Whether you realize it or not, you do. You do. And those are not things that you have earned, and they're not even necessarily things that you, by your own power, help to develop. Though, of course, we can get better at them, and we can develop them, but they're nothing that you, they originated in you. They were given to you by God's grace. If we look back in Ephesians 4, 7, and 8, okay, so if you still have your Bibles in Ephesians... Go back, 7 and 8, it says, by, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Finally, so that, that's a description of gifts. It's by the triune God. It's by his grace. Finally, we know these gifts are given to each and every believer. Again, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Okay, verse 7, each one of us. So that's a summary of what spiritual gifts are, just to catch you up to speed here. All of us who are believers have been given at least one spiritual gift. We know it because it says it. It says it in verse 7. Each one of us has been given something. And I'm, I'm willing to bet a lot of you have more than one spiritual gift, not just one. Sometimes people complain, I'm not good at anything, Pastor Dave. I don't, I don't know what I'm good at. I'm, I'm worthless. I don't have anything to offer. That's not true. Especially if you were a believer in Christ this morning, this verse disproves you. I can prove you wrong from the scriptures. So there. Um, 
And it's not just me saying it, it's the Bible, so try and argue with the Bible. Good luck with that. No, um, if you are a believer in Christ, you have something to offer. God has shown you right here. And if you think you have nothing to bring to the table, if you think you're worthless, that's a lie of Satan. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Combat those lies with truth. Okay? Um, If you're looking around at people who are more talented than you at sports or music or art, it's easy to feel that way. But what I'm trying to encourage you with is uh, it's simply not true that you're not good at anything. We have each been given an ability, a spiritual gift, as it were, to be used for building up of others. Um, God has created you with unique abilities, a unique combination of talents that is different from everyone else. And furthermore, we see from this passage that if you're a believer, God has for sure given you at least one. Um, and you might say, well, Pastor Dave, I'm not even sure what spiritual gifts are, so how can I know which ones I have? Well, we've already seen a sampling of some of them. And, and while there's no one complete list of all of the spiritual gifts described in any one passage of the scriptures, we do have several different lists put together in different places of the Bible that can give you an idea of the kind of gifts God has given, such as Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, or also here in Ephesians 4. So you don't have to turn to each of those passages, but let me just list some of those spiritual gifts that are listed in passages, such as Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12. Their gifts are such as apostleship or prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, faith, miracles, speaking in tongues, administration, word of wisdom, shepherding, hospitality, and evangelism. These are the kinds of things that are listed in the Bible as being spiritual gifts. Okay? Now, spiritual gifts are not the same thing as talents. Okay? You might be talented in playing Super Mario Brothers. Okay, it's a talent I also share, so if you share that talent, we can come and talk afterwards. But that is not a spiritual gift, okay? Playing video games, unfortunately, is not a, a spiritual gift. But what are spiritual gifts? What differentiates them from talents? Okay, you might be able to spin a ball on your, on your finger, which is nice, but that's different than this list that's described here. Spiritual gifts are different from talents in that they build up the body of Christ in a very specific, targeted way. So hence, hospitality, or encouragement, or giving, or leadership, or teaching, those kinds of things that are used in a very specific pointed way to build up the body of Christ, different from talents, okay? Each of us has at least one of those gifts if you're a believer in Christ. Now, some of these gifts that you, that you heard me mention, um, you know, like, like tongues, speaking in tongues, or miracles, or apostleship, might seem a little off to you because you're like, well, I don't know that we have any apostles around here. And, and that's true. Some of them were ones that we generally assume to be relegated to the first century, the time of Jesus Christ and the apostles, sign gifts, as they're called, to validate the message that was given back then. So uh, I don't expect uh, people in this room to be apostles, so to speak. Um, but there are other, many other gifts that I mentioned that are for today that we very much have been given. And again, there's not one passage that lists them all, which seems to me to say that God never intended to give us a passage with an extensive, exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. Rather, he gave us a large enough list to help us understand this concept and that all of them have this in common, that they can be used to build up others in the faith. And so I would even go as far to say is that music could even be considered a spiritual gift, though it's not listed here. 
Because none of these passages list them fully, but all of them share that in common. They build up the body of Christ. So I think music could be. Um, I think artwork could be as well. I think if you want to break up counseling to be something separate, although there's some overlap there, that could be. Um, Many other things that could fall under that same umbrella as a spiritual gift. Now, as we circle back to Ephesians 4.11, you'll notice something unique. And that is that Paul here doesn't give us a broad list of the various kinds of spiritual gifts that Christ gives, but rather he gives us a more limited, focused, specific list. Paul lists just five of these gifts. And he says it in verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That's very interesting. So the next question is, why does he only name five specific gifts? And what role does that have to play in this larger point that I'm making this morning for you all, that God needs all of us, okay? We, we all need to be used by the church. The church needs all of you. We all need to use our specific gifts. What role do these five play? And why does he only list these five? Well, if you look at these five, it seems that they aren't just random, at least not in my thinking. They also seem to be closely related. And by that I mean all these gifts seem to not only be spiritual gifts, but also offices in a way. In other words, not only is shepherding a gift, but it's also an office. The word shepherd is also understood to mean pastor. In the Bible, when you see in the New Testament, the word for shepherd is often translated as pastor. If you have an NIV this morning, you'll see that. Ephesians 4.11 in the NIV is translated, for Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So on one hand, we look at this list, we see five gifts, but they also tend to be associated with certain leadership roles in the life of the church. But furthermore, all these gifts seem to involve teaching in some way. You think about it, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All those five gifts share that in common. So Paul is not trying to list out all of the spiritual gifts, but just these specific ones. Why? Well, if if we're not careful, we might assume that God has signaled out these individuals with these gifts to be the ones that build the church to be the ones that reach the lost, to do the primary work of the ministry. And if you go into this text with that assumption, you'd be wrong. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Here's what it actually says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. What does the next part say? Pay close attention to this. Does it say to do the work of the ministry on their own? No. Rather, God gave these individuals, why? To equip the saints. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the key part of this entire passage. All five of these spiritual gift categories share this thing in common. They are intended to equip the saints. That is, the rest of the church in order to do the vital work of the ministry. You know, this might seem like a small point that I'm making, but in actuality, it changes everything. And it should radically change the way you think about this church. Follow me for a second as I explain. See, our American culture is defined by consumerism. Even when you listen to the news, when anchors report on the state of our country, we're often not even called people, we're called consumers. And and what that means is we can easily be led to think that the church is something that we consume and not something that we participate in. 
We think about church in terms of what it does, uh, what does it offer rather than how can I use my gifts to benefit others? How can I participate in the life of the church? And unfortunately, this kind of, uh, of thinking has come out even in the terms that we often associate when you go around and you move to a new area. Think of church shopping, okay? People have often used that term. Now, to be sure, when you move to a new area, there's, there's always wisdom in doing research first, right? Before you, you settle on a place where you want to worship at, you want to make sure that the preaching is solid, you want to make sure it's a gospel-preaching church, it's, it's a, a church that loves people and wants to see the gospel proclaimed, all those are good things, okay? So I don't want to put down that term altogether, but I want to show a little bit about what that term betrays, and that is we, we live in a consumer mindset, and if we're not careful, we can tend to think of the church as being something we consume rather than something we take part in, something we are involved in. And that can lead to a certain way that we think about the leaders of the church. You know, the leaders, we're here, we sit in the pew, we come, and, and we let them do the work of the ministry. We let them educate our kids, them entertain our youth, or train up our youth, or teach the kids to serve, or do whatever, and then we go home. It, it's real easy to fall into that kind of trap. And we can often think of it really like, you know, stereotypically in, in terms of the, the, the megachurch, okay? So I'm going to pick on the megachurch for a second. But don't get too concerned because I'm going to come back to us in a second as well. So we're just as, we can be just as guilty. It's easy sometimes if we walk into a really big place. Imagine the, you know, the biggest church you can think of in the area or anywhere in the United States. And to walk in and it's sometimes it can, the lines between that and maybe a sight and sound can be blurred, can it? When you walk in, you're, you're immediately hit with this great experience. Uh, just this past week, um, uh, my family, my parents took us to Disney, which was wonderful. My kids, uh, we had never been there together as a family. It was wonderful. Let me tell you, it's really hard coming back to like 35 degree weather when you're in 75 degree weather and palm trees. Let <laughs> me just tell you that. And, and as you're flying back, you see snow. Um, my mind's still partially back there. Uh, coincidentally, I came back and then got this sickness. I don't know why. Pennsylvania is the land of sickness, I guess. I don't know. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that Disney does wonderfully is they don't just make a roller coaster. They make an experience. So that when you're going to the, the Mount Everest roller coaster um, in Animal Kingdom, it's not just that like they have the tallest thing and and you get a big drop. Okay, you can do that at Hershey. But when you're walking in the waiting line, you feel like you're in Nepal. They have socks hanging up as if you're about to go actually climb this mountain. They have the shoes with the spikes hanging there. You know, you're, as you're waiting in line, you're, you're, you're walking up to this place where you could buy supplies and you see old backpacks and everything like that. You know, you get this full experience, you know. It's kind of like how it is when you walk into Sight and Sound. I don't know if you've ever been to a Sight and Sound experience. You know, you walk in and you feel like you're in this Middle Eastern context. You know, they they got the music playing and they got, you know, the kind of cracked walls and everything like that. Well, you know, if you have a big enough budget as a church, you can make people walk into your building and it's just this experience, you know. People are there to greet you. There's clear signs. You know where you're going, all that kind of stuff. And you sit down and there's comfortable chairs, and you can hear the band playing, and the preacher preaching, and they've got the biggest screens, and everything like that. Now again, I'm not going to 
I'm not up here just to bash the, the contemporary church, because in actuality, if we had the budget available, I'm sure we'd want to have the nicest looking narthex. We'd want to have the most comfortable seats. You'd want to have proper signs to do. Like, we wouldn't take pride in saying, when you walk in our church, nobody knows where to go, and we have the most uncomfortable seats, right? I mean, you wouldn't brag about that. So it's not that I'm putting that down. But what I'm saying is, it's, it's all too dangerous to fall into this place where the church becomes something that just appeals to this consumerist mindset, where I just come in and have all my needs met, and I just sit back, and I do nothing, and I just let those up front lead, and, and everything's done for me. And then I can go home, I've taken in the teaching, and then I'm all set. There's nothing else for me to do, okay? That's the kind of wrong thinking that we can fall ourselves into, or we can fall into, and, um, and we want to avoid that. Because, you know what, it doesn't say here in Ephesians 4.11 that Christ gave these particular individuals to do the, the entirety of the work of this ministry, but no, it says to build up, to equip the body, everybody, to use their gifts to the fullest so that the work of the ministry can be done by the church and not just this elite group of four or five people or whatever. That's what I'm driving home today. What role do leaders have in the life of the church? If it's not to do it all, then what is it? It is this, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. After all, if you think about it, that's what Jesus did for his 12 apostles. He didn't just simply minister on his own, but he trained, he taught, he encouraged 12 so that they could be what? Sent out as well. So how do these individuals with these specific gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers, equip the rest of the saints? Well, I already mentioned it. Primarily, they teach. Even an evangelist, while he or she is usually thought as somebody who ventures beyond their home church to reach the lost, is in effect the first person that teaches you about the gospel. Think about that. Your most basic information came from an evangelist, whether that was your mother, your father, your friend, your brother, your sister, somebody from this church, somebody from another Christian organization, that's where you first learned the most essential part of the Christian teaching, the gospel. It was taught to you. That's where it all started. And then from there, you were built up even more into solid doctrine. And maybe this surprises you, the doctrine that solid teaching would play such a central role in discipleship. But listen to some of the positive effects that come out of having accurate teaching. Verses 11 through 13 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice here that unity is defined not only in terms of common love for each other, but also unity in content of what we believe, hence unity of faith. And then we also gain, quote, a fuller knowledge, it says knowledge there, of Jesus Christ. Continuing on in those verses, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Further on, we see in verse 14, another reason why solid teaching is so important is that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So hopefully, you're being equipped here at the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. Hopefully you feel you're being taught from the Bible 
that your kids are, your teens are, etc. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, sadly, this is where many people stop. People talk about how they have a good church, how they feel like they're being, quote, fed spiritually. But then that's it. They listen to a a lesson, a message, or go home, and then just go home. But understand that being equipped isn't meant to be an end of itself. It's being equipped for a purpose. And this is why it could never work for you just to say, I'm going to go home and just go to LebanonBFC.org and watch the sermons that we have recorded, and then I'll be spiritually fed. Then I'll get my dose of church for the week, and I'll be all set. It'll be just as good as if I were here or as if I were participating in this body. No, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. And here's why. Because you have been equipped for a purpose. You have been equipped to serve, equipped to minister. And so we see in the middle of verse 15, this is what we are aiming towards. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, notice this, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So notice something here, and this is crucial, that the body, that is the church, the body doesn't grow when just the teachers are teaching. You understand that? The body doesn't just grow when only the teachers are teaching. No, verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, that's the key. The bottom line is this, we need you. God needs you. The church needs you. We need you to use those gifts that God has given you. The church doesn't grow without it. We could teach and equip, you know, day in and day out. But if the body isn't using the gifts that God has given, then it doesn't grow and it doesn't function as it ought. Now, I understand that many of you, for many of you, I'm preaching to the choir. I know many people, as I'm looking out at this congregation this morning, um, already are involved heavily. I know many of you carry the weight of so many ministries. I know many of you are using your gifts to the full. I know many of you have been a part of this church and have been serving over and over for years and years, immersed in the work of the ministry, gladly, joyfully, using the gifts for the glory of God. And if that's you this morning, thank you. Thank you. My call is to everyone here that attends and is saved. I mean that. If you are saved, if you truly are a believer in Christ, then this message is for you. What are your spiritual gifts? Ask yourself that question first. Do me a favor. Okay? There's going to be some homework for this. Um, you can't just listen. Okay? You've got you to do some more than that. Write down 1 Corinthians 12. Write down Romans 12. And Ephesians 4, those three passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and then this one that we're looking at this morning, Ephesians 4. And from those passages, you'll be able to see just a sampling of the gifts that God has laid out. And if you don't know what your gifts are, here's your assignment. Look at those passages. Think about which ones you might have. And if you're saying, I don't really know, then ask somebody that you know really well, or somebody that knows you really well. Ask your spouse, ask your friends, 
Ask your kids, okay? Ask somebody else in this church. Say, what, what kind of spiritual gifts do you think I have? As you know me, as you know, you know some of the things that I'm excited about or the things I'm gifted in, I'm, I'm, I'm good at, think about other things as well. Like, what, what kind of things uh, get you excited? What kind of ministries get you excited? What kind of things are you passionate about to do for the Lord? What are you talented in? Is there an area that you would love to be involved in because you have a passion for it? Figure those things out. If you've never done that before, do that very thing today. And then come, to talk, come talk to me. Or come talk to one of us on the pastoral staff. And I can't guarantee there's always going to be something open immediately to plug you in, but you'll never know if you don't ask the question. Um, we need individuals to be using the gifts that God has given them for the church. Don't believe the lie that says, oh, you don't need me. I'm not really great at such and such. No, God can use you. We could use you. Have you been a passive consumer of the church or a vital working member of the body? Because it says when each part is working properly, that's when there's growth. The bottom line this morning is that you have been equipped by Christ, equipped by the Holy Spirit, and hopefully equipped by the church in teaching. So now is the day for you to use the gifts that God has given you for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would glorify your name, each and every one of us, specifically this morning, in our using of the gifts, the spiritual gifts, that you have given to each and every one of us. God, if there are some here that don't know what those gifts are, I pray that there would be some soul searching, that there would be some introspection, maybe asking of other individuals about what those gifts might be. God, sometimes it's not altogether clear, especially when we're young. And sometimes, God, it takes practice. Sometimes it takes uh, experimenting, volunteering in different ways to figure out uh, things that we get excited about or things that we're naturally good at. Sometimes it takes time. But God, I pray that we would all endeavor to find out ways in which you have gifted us so that the work of the ministry might be done not just by a few but by all of us and that together God as we serve you that you would smile from heaven seeing your church at work building itself up in unity in faith and in love we pray this in Jesus name amen